So we're in this series called Life Together, and um, I'd like to talk about um, a, next, a next segment in this series about examining how we see people and also examining our hearts. So I'd like to first start out with a question, and that question is, what, what was the last thing that Jesus said to his followers? And so if you go to Mark chapter 16, verse 15, he says, go into the world and tell people the good news. To proclaim the gospel. And so we're going to talk a little bit about proclaiming the gospel because that's part of the mission of the church. And it's something that's paramount when it comes to living life together. Because how can we live life together if we don't have a heart to let people know about the good news? How do we go about sharing the good news? Well, it starts with our hearts. And let's use the story and the backdrop of Luke chapter 7 for our text tonight. So Luke 7, starting in verse 36. And we'll read through... Verse 50. Then one of the Pharisees asked to asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who he is touching or who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, Teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, in order to fully understand this story, we have to understand the culture and the customs of this time. And just like in our own homes, there is a social etiquette when it comes to um, how things get done or how things are done. So let's use how we apply etiquette today and we'll see how it's practiced in Jesus day. So, for instance, my wife is is a white female. I am a Chinese American. We come from very different cultures. Right. So in my home, in my parents home, when she came to meet, meet the parents and I went to meet her parents, um, I had to flip switches. I had to flip switch from Chinese American boy to just American, American. And she had to flip a switch from American to American because she has no idea what Chinese is, right? So, so I had to, I had to forewarn her. So for, for me, like the first time I met her, her parents, she, um, they wanted to take us out to, 
to Jay's Fish and Chips. I think that's in Hayward or Castro Valley or something. So I was like, oh, okay, let's go to Jay's Fish and Chips. And I went there, and um, and it was just this dive of a place. And I was like, wow, they probably don't like me already. Like you would think, like, you know, oh, first time meeting the boyfriend, we're gonna go to a nice restaurant or something. It's just like, okay. Jay's Fish and Chips, just the whole right by like I don't know, like a dry cleaner or something. And so, and then when 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 she came for my when she came to meet my parents, um, I just had to forewarn her like, okay, so um, you have to eat all your food. <laughs> all you Chinese know what I'm talking about. You have to every grain. You cannot leave a single grain of rice. It has to be all done. And when you put your chopsticks, do not stick them in the rice. Like, you got to put them down, like, on the table. They can't stick on anything, right? And, um, and when, you, when you pour tea, you, you don't pour yours first. You got to pour in an order, right? So, like, my mom's first, my dad, and then, like, so forth. And if someone pours tea for you, you, you do this, right? Thank you. Right. So 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 just these different types of etiquette that that would help her understand, like, OK, you're 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 coming into this. And then when and then everyone touches your food. So don't get freaked out. Right. Like so they all like everything's everyone's serving. So when she goes to like our Christmases, her her plate like this, she's just, right, because everyone's serving food. Right. And then for for us for, or for Americans, it's like my food. This is my entree. No family style. Get away, right? This is my food. I ordered it. This is mine, right? No way in a Chinese place. Even if you go to like, um, even if you go to a place where you order your own food, we all put it in the middle, right? And then we go, hey, can we have the extra plates? And then we start getting stuff. That's just how we do it. So it's just all social etiquette stuff, right? So the point I'm trying to make is that every culture has rules that govern social behavior. Rules that dictate things like how do we greet people, how do we make people feel welcome, or, or how do we show hospitality, how do we host people, how do we honor people, how do we make people feel valued, or on the flip side of that, how do we insult people, or how do we make them feel small. Right. So the concept of etiquette is vital to understanding the story in Luke chapter 7. So 7... Verse 36, Jesus was invited over for a meal at at the home of this Pharisee. And as a visiting rabbi, Jesus would have been considered to be a guest of honor. And there would be an understanding that particular things would happen. So, for instance, it was custom for a guest to be greeted with a kiss. A kiss on the cheek would indicate that the guest was a person considered an equal. So you'd kiss them on the cheek if, if they were equals. But if the guest was considered of a higher status like a student greeting a teacher or a child greeting a parent, then the kiss would be given on the hand, right? To show respect and to show honor, right? So this is why my kids always greet me like this when I get home. Like, <laughs> right? So, so do you recall how, how Jesus was betrayed by Judas in the Garden of Gethsemane? Not just a kiss. On the cheek. Do you see how that was really disrespectful, how it was really dishonoring, painful to Jesus? Because in in a normal teacher-disciple relationship, the kiss would be given on the hand. 
And the kiss on the hand was a way to tell your rabbi that, that you loved him, that you revered him, you respected him, and that you wanted to follow him. Judas and Jesus weren't peers. So you see how this act of kissing him on the cheek was, was hurtful. Back to Luke 7. You notice in verse 45, Jesus tells the Pharisee, you gave me no kiss. And some of you may think, oh, big deal, kiss, right? You're not kissed. But remember the proper way to greet someone, right? They came to your house and the proper thing to do was give them a kiss. So neglecting to do this is rude. It's an insult. It'd be like inviting someone over to your house for dinner and, and you're just, hey, and you just walk away. You don't shake their hand. You don't offer to take their coat. You don't offer them a drink. You don't give them a hug. Just normal stuff for us and how we how, how our social etiquette is. So it's a blatant way of insulting Jesus. And, it, and it's just a way to to not show common courtesy. And you look at verse 44. I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. In Jesus time, washing washing feet was obligatory before partaking in a meal. Right. It's, it's not something we do to ta- today because we wear socks and closed toe shoes and we have paved roads. But back then, you think about the context, then people had some pretty grubby feet. Right. So so if you your guest came to your house, um, who was a person of reputation, you would offer to wash their feet. So if a person was of less status, you would have your servant wash your, their feet if you had a servant. And, and if you didn't, then you would. Give your guest a, a bowl of water to wash their own feet. And you usually wouldn't let your guests wash their own feet. So, so you see how the social etiquette was broken by the Pharisee and that no water at all was offered or provided for Jesus' feet. You look at verse 46. You did not anoint my head with oil. And as the host, the proper thing to do back then was to give your guests something uh, to anoint them. It was thought of as a refreshment for them. And the most common thing to use back then was olive oil. Really plentiful all over the region. But for guests of honor, you would use more expensive things. The anointing of the head was a thoughtful way to refresh your guests. So here we have Jesus who was invited into his home. And Jesus is a rabbi and he's not customarily received. There is no greeting. There is no kiss. There is no feet washing. There is no anointing. These are all social etiquette no-no's. Right? These are little things can, that can be overlooked by us if, if we just kind of read through this text with, without the cultural context. But these are intentional insults to Jesus. We don't know why Simon does such disrespectful things. Perhaps Simon was deliberately trying to show Jesus that he had no respect for him. Or maybe he was afraid of being associated with Jesus and, 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 and being close so that he didn't want it to be perceived that he was friends. So he purposely did this stuff and whatever the reasoning the way Jesus is received is not how a host greets a guest and it was disrespectful it was rude and and the way Jesus was greeted was so cold and so inhospitable so you sense the tension in the dining room there and there was probably some really awkward silence because you're expecting these things and you're just like when's the water coming out when's the oil coming out when is uh, when is stuff happening Right. So it's just silent, maybe really uncomfortable. And then this uninvited woman shows up. And a little background about this meal. It may seem strange that some woman just shows up in your dining room. Right. But this is thought to be more of like a banquet. 
And banquets were different than they are for us. Banquets for us, they're still private. Not anyone can just walk in. But in those days, banquets were more public in nature. And it would be open to anyone. And, and it was kind of a form of entertainment. Like people would come by and watch what was going on. You know, the, the paparazzi of the day would, would be there. And it was, was just part of the culture. And, and a wealth, at a wealthy person's house, like this Pharisee probably was, they'd have a meal in the courtyard and everyone would watch. And so you see how much more insulting and disrespectful this Pharisee's actions were towards Jesus because it was for everyone to see. But then this woman comes into the picture and we're told that she's a sinner, which most likely means that she's a prostitute. And in verse 39, it seems that the Pharisee knew who this woman was and the reputation she carried with her. So others in the village probably knew as well. And we have this woman who heard Jesus say something, saw him do something before that party that changed her life. And she probably got to thinking about her own life. She probably started wondering how she ended up where she was and how her life was turning out. You know, there, there's no little girl who grows up thinking that they want to live a life like this woman lived. Imagine who this woman once was. She was once someone's baby girl. She was once the apple of her mother's eye. And, and her mother had hopes and dreams for her. Her mother prayed for her, but something in life happened. And perhaps her lo- husband left her in such a state. Women were not treated with much dignity and there were no social agencies to protect the rights of women. So maybe she had to do what she was doing because it was one of the few ways a woman could survive on her own back then. But then Jesus changed her life. Something about Jesus changed her life, made her rethink her life. And Jesus provided her with a glimmer of hope. And maybe for some of you in this room, it's time for Jesus to change something in your life, to change something in your heart. Because this woman allowed Jesus to do that in her sin and in her darkness. And she realized that even in that dark and sinful place that God loved her. You are also loved by God, regardless of where you're at. Do you know that? Think about that. Just meditate on that for a second. Maybe it's been a while since you've thought about God's love for you. But God loves you. He knows all about you. He he still desires a relationship with you. And it's not too late for you to come to Jesus if you don't have a relationship with him. And it's not too late to rededicate yourself to him if you've been distant from him. And if you are distant from him, do you do you remember a time when you knew the love of God? And maybe it was the first time you encountered God and you knew in your heart that God loved you. Well, if you have that glimmer of hope, then you know you can always go back to that place and remember that. And that's when this, this, this woman is experiencing this. And she knew that Jesus was at this Pharisee's house having dinner. So she goes to the courtyard and she's definitely not invited to this meal. And she's in no way welcome to be there by the Pharisees or, or others who were watching. But she's, she builds up the courage and she, she's courageous enough to, to make her way there. And she's just overcome by love for Jesus. And there she is witnessing how Simon is mistreating Jesus, how he's ignoring Jesus and insulting him and not doing the proper things that a host should be doing. And, and she just can't take it anymore. 
And she does something that is punk rock. Right? She realizes that she can't give Jesus this customary kiss on the cheek or, or the hand because that, that, that'd be kind of presumptuous on her part. And she wouldn't dare kiss Jesus on the cheek or the hand because of, of how that might be perceived or interpreted. So she has another idea. I'll kiss his feet. Feet that weren't washed. Washing someone's feet was left for someone who was an equal or lower, but to kiss someone's feet. That's total humility. That's an action done out of total brokenness. That was an act saying, I don't care about what anyone else thinks. And and I'm sold out to Jesus. So you imagine the tension that was there before she showed up and now you, you throw this in. You talk about drama. Right? People have just observed how Simon the Pharisee had just dissed Jesus. And then the sinner woman walks through the courtyard to the dining table, kneels down at Jesus' feet, and starts kissing them. Now notice Jesus. Jesus doesn't react poorly to her. He doesn't tell her to go away and judge her for her past. He doesn't get embarrassed to be associated with her. He only has love for her. That's important for us to keep in mind. In the previous sermons in this series, we talked about community. We talked about grace and truth. We talked about our words. We talked about goodness. And we see how Jesus is the master at living life together. Look at how Jesus chose her to be part of his community. At how he extends grace and truth. At how he uses his words wisely. At accepting her act of confession and her effort into becoming good. And she kneeled at the feet of our Lord Jesus in the most vulnerable state of repentance. And all he had for her was love. And while other men had lust for her, and she was just an object to fulfill their lust, Jesus looked at her with unconditional love as a daughter, as a friend. And it was a love that was for everyone to see, unlike the relationship she had with men that were hidden in darkness. Just like our sins, our sins that are done in darkness, our sins that are hidden. There is no hiding with Jesus. There's no shame or embarrassment. He brings things to light because he knows he can fix them. He's the only one that can. So so then you bring it to him and he will cleanse you of those sins. And when we come to his feet with our sins, he stands to publicly defend you, even though your sins announce to everyone that you're guilty. And even though those things pronounce you guilty, he still takes on your case. And this woman who is overwhelmed by Jesus' acceptance, she starts to tear. But then she she just starts all out bawling. And tears are just pouring down her face. It was probably an array of emotions in her tears. Tears of sadness at what her life had become. But also tears of happiness because she's fully accepted even with all this garbage there. And tears of thankfulness because... Jesus gave her the gift of forgiveness. Tears of joy because Jesus gave her a new life. And Jesus' feet were dirty with everyday walking. They, they weren't washed by Simon with water, but they ended up getting washed from her tears. So can you imagine the outpouring of tears? And to get them really clean, she has to have something to scrub them with. And to dry them, she'll need something to wipe them with. And she knows it's a waste of time to ask Simon for a towel, so she wipes them with her hair. And in order for her to wipe Jesus' feet with her hair, she has to let her hair down. 
This is a big no-no in that culture. A woman never let her hair down in front of anyone back then. A woman back then did not do this in public. It was for her husband alone. It was considered too provocative anywhere else. And a married woman letting her hair down in front of anyone else besides her husband was considered grounds for divorce. That's how taboo this act is. So keep in mind that people knew her profession. There were people there, including the host of the banquet, that knew she had let her hair down many, many, many times before with many, many, many men. And there were people that knew that. And people that didn't know that probably found out pretty quickly. But this is pretty cool. She lets her hair down for Jesus. And this time it's for a great reason. And and she lets her hair down this time, and it's an act of love, and it's an act of devotion to her Lord. And in verse 37, we're told that she has an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. This is most likely referring to a flask of perfume, which was very expensive back then and was wore around her neck. And due to her line of work, this flask of perfume was probably the most valuable possession that she owned. And now she empties the entire flask on a pair of feet. Why did she do such a thing? It doesn't seem to make sense to throw all that money away on a pair of feet. But you know what? She didn't need it anymore. She's pouring out her life savings, her earthly security, her life on the feet of Jesus. In verse 38, we're told that she anointed them, Jesus' feet, with the fragrant oil. She isn't in a place to anoint Jesus' head because she knows who Jesus is and she knows who she is. And she's reverent, she's honoring, she's respectful, so she anoints his feet, which wasn't something anyone would do. And people anoint heads, not feet. So she washed Jesus' feet with her tears in her hair. She kissed his feet and she anointed them with fragrant oil. And this is a totally broken woman who is doing things that are unheard of. But she's totally overcome by the goodness of Jesus, so much so that she's forgotten who she is, what she is doing and where she is. And she totally abandons everything of herself and pours it out on Jesus feet in love and gratitude. And while all this is happening, Simon has a front row seat in his own home, his own home theater, watching all this unfold. And his dinner is not turning out the way that he thought it would. Right. He was probably thinking, you know, I'm going to bring this guy in and I'm going to hammer him and I'm going to disrespect him. And and when this woman comes and does this stuff, he's probably thinking like, oh, this is too good. This is great. He's, he's falling right into my trap. Right. And verse 39 says, Simon says, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. He's questioning that he's even a prophet. So Simon doesn't believe Jesus to even be a prophet because he lets this sinful woman touch him. And Jesus knows what he's doing. This is not going to faze him. He knows that this is a sinful woman. He also knows Simon's heart. And just like he knows your heart and my heart. And then Jesus goes on to tell a story. Verse 41. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And this is the only time that the term creditor or money lender is used in the New Testament. And this term refers to someone who lends money with interest. It's someone who lends money to the poor at really high interest rates and becomes rich off of poor people. 
So these people were highly detested people. And in this culture, people who allowed themselves to get into this type of debt weren't thought of very highly either. People indebted to a creditor, a moneylender, were, were thought of as dumb, uh, unlucky. They were unable to manage their life. They were people who, who were thought of pretty poorly. But creditors, moneylenders, they were thought of even worse. In our day, the, the parable would be about two bookies who own money to a loan shark, right? Let's call the loan shark the godfather. Right? So both of the guys owed money to the godfather who, who couldn't pay him back. One bookie had a debt that seemed like he, he could pay it off eventually. And the other bookie had a debt so huge that, that he knew he was, he, he was going to the fishes. Right? He knew it. And so the other bookie had a debt so huge and he was freaked out. And the godfather calls him in and says, I'm going to make you an offer you can't refuse. Right? And so he tells them that all their debts are forgiven. And that he's going to take all their debts off the books. You're kidding me. So then Jesus turns to Simon in verse 42 and says, Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Which debtor is going to feel the greater debt of gratitude? Which one is going to have their world turned upside down? Which one is going to feel more relief from their burden? Which one is going to be more joyful and filled with love toward the creditor who has graciously set him free? The guy with a smaller, manageable amount of debt or the guy with the huge debt that there was no way he would ever pay it back. So Simon's response is pretty funny in verse 43. He says, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. I suppose. Right? Simon doesn't want to admit it, but he understands where Jesus' teaching is leading him. So he knows he knows where Jesus is going with this. So he says, well, I suppose, right? Just like your teenagers, right? When they respond and they know you're right, like, I guess, or I suppose. And so Jesus replies in verse 43, very funny. You have rightly judged. Right? Right answer. Good job. Tell him what he's won, Peter. And so up till now, the whole conversation was between Jesus and Simon. But then in verse 44, Jesus turns to the woman. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? Jesus asked Simon this question because he didn't see this woman. And this is how religious, self-righteous, legalistic, judgmental, critical people can get. And I get this way, too. And instead of seeing a woman who was in need of Jesus, he saw someone who was beneath him. He saw someone that he didn't want to associate with. Simon saw someone who he didn't want in his house. He saw someone who God wouldn't care about in his opinion. Simon didn't see her as a child of God. How do we live life together? How do we live life as a community here? We have to be able to see one another. We have to be able to see each other and anyone else who encounters us as children of God and not anything less. And Jesus asked Simon, do you see this woman? And and then he says in verse 44, I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. You notice how Jesus is being polite. He doesn't mention that Simon should be the one to wash his feet, but that or, or that he could have even just provided some water. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And Jesus asked Simon, do you see this woman? 
You gave me no kiss. See, Jesus is being courteous again. Doesn't mention the particulars of kissing him on the cheek as an equal or kissing his hand as a student would do for a rabbi. But this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. And Jesus asked Simon, do you see this woman? You did not anoint my head with oil. And again, Jesus is being gentle. And he didn't bring up that Simon could have used common olive oil. Very inexpensive in that region. He didn't even use his best stuff or even offer the cheap stuff. But this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. She gave the best she had to Jesus. Verse 47. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. Her many big debts are forgiven. And think about what Jesus is doing for this woman. Because before this, no one stood up for her. Before all those people, Jesus is publicly standing up for her, telling everyone there that she is cleansed of her sins, that her slate is wiped clean, and that God accepts her and that she's okay with God. And Jesus is still doing this today. If you don't know Jesus, he would love for you to come to him today, to go to God and acknowledge that he gave you the gift of life, the gift of hope, and that you've messed things up. But you would like for him to make things right. And you know that there's a darkness within you, but, but God's forgiveness awaits you because Jesus has taken care of all your debts on the cross. Jesus has paid the debt. You just have to acknowledge it in faith, and then he'll forever be your friend. And Jesus asked Simon, do you see this woman? So how about us? Do we see those around us? Because they are... Among our community, they are outside of the church. Some of them looking at the courtyards of us, wanting to meet a Jesus that is waiting for them. And Jesus says in verse 47, her sins, which are many, are forgiven for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And this is so important to understand. Jesus is not saying, Simon, you're you're righteous and you don't have much sin, so you don't need much grace. You only have a little bit of debt. Jesus is not saying that. And the problem that Simon has is that he thinks that he has a little sin. And because he thinks that, it makes it hard for him to love people. And he has categorized people into people with larger debts. And then his self-righteous attitude takes over and he thinks, why can't people be more like me? Why can't people be more righteous? Why can't people have control over their own lives? Why can't they understand the scriptures like I do? Simon is this self-righteous guy who's judgmental, arrogant, and he has this superiority complex. It's just a disgustingly gross personality. And so, who really has the greater debt here? The woman or Simon? Simon. We need to be really careful about how we look at ourselves because this type of heart makes living together almost impossible. Who wants to live with people like that? Who wants to live in community with people like that? And there's a huge sin that is happening in this story, but it's not what Simon thinks is sin. There's a huge sin of lips that won't kiss, of hands that won't serve, of knees that won't bow. 
of tears that won't fall, of eyes that won't see, of a heart that won't break. What is the greatest commandment? It's the commandment to love, right? Love God, love people. That's what it's all about. And a huge sin is to refuse to obey the greatest commandment. And Jesus asked Simon, don't you see? You have the biggest debt of all. Simon, you have a huge debt. And you're the one. It's you that has this huge debt, but you can't see it. And if you could see it, you would be right beside this sinful woman on your knees and feel the anguish that sin has over your life, just like this sinful woman does. And Simon, if you could only be overwhelmed by the love of God, the love that God has for you, even when, when you have no love in your heart for others, if you could only be overwhelmed by God's love like this woman has, if you could only see God's grace and his goodness to the extent that this woman can, you would have tears flowing down your face. And she had a heart that was broken and Simon had a heart that was hardened. And the question we need to ask ourselves in addition to do, do we see is how is our heart? How is my heart? How is your heart when you, when you see someone who doesn't live the way or act the way that you think is right? How is your heart towards them? And this is an important question to ask yourself because it's important to look at your heart so that you can know if you have the type of heart to live life together in community. How is your heart for the lost? For those who don't know about Jesus or follow Jesus? How is your prayer life for the lost? And who are you praying for to come to a relationship with Jesus? Simon had an opportunity, just this golden opportunity to direct this woman to Jesus, but he was too busy being self-righteous, too busy pointing out others' wrongs, too busy thinking highly of himself. The condition of our heart matters. Let's think about some things that matter to us because it's pretty common that there are material things that take us off course. So let's let's think about some things that we highly value that symbolize things in this world that have the likelihood to occupy our hearts. And so the first thing I want to envision in our mind is a house. Houses are meaningful objects to us. Owning a house is the American dream. You know, where we live and how it looks is really important in our society. And even though home prices have come down somewhat as of late, Houses are still really pricey where we live, aren't they? And so let me tell you something that I hate. Somebody that buys a house like three, four decades ago comes up to me and, and it says, like, yeah, I bought my house for like $15,000. It's like, I don't know, it's like $15 million or something now. And I'm like, please just don't talk to me. Don't talk to me, right? You're depressing me. But owning a house, it's, it's a good thing. It's important. But there's a truth that is more important about a house that I'll get to shortly. And the second thing I want you to envision is a car. And I really like cars. Um, several weeks ago, I saw a Rolls Royce Phantom. That's a car, right? That's like, it's $350,000 worth of car. It's, it's awesome. And it was similar to the first car that I ever owned. Um, it was a, a 76 Toyota Corolla Deluxe station wagon. It was yellow. And um, it, it, had, uh, it was deluxe because it, it had air conditioning. 
So the air conditioning, I had to like, there was a lever that you had to move over. It wasn't like even a button. And it had to kind of like warm up to like get over there. And then, so that's why it was a deluxe. It was great. A total babe magnet. And um, everyone wanted to race me. And so it was, it was an important thing to own. But there's a truth that is more important about a car that I'll get to shortly. And the third thing I'd like for us to envision in our mind is a safe. And this symbolizes money. Because our hearts get caught up in it sometimes and, and, and we, we want more of it because we, we think about like, where are we without it? And we want financial security. And often we think that if we had more money, we wouldn't have to worry about our life anymore. But if that were true, then billionaires would be like the most worry-free people in the world, right? So money is important to have, but there's a truth that is more important about money that I'll get to. And the last thing I'd like for us to envision is a laptop. This symbolizes your job. It symbolizes your career. Right? A job is important, but there's a truth that is more important than a job. And here it is. The most important truth about all those things that our hearts can get caught up in is that they're all temporary. Your house is pretty cool, but it won't be there forever. It's eventually going to be a pile of dust. And the years and years and years of mortgages and mortgage payments are going to eventually be paying for a pile of dust. Yes, I'm here to encourage you. And that really great car, someday is just going to sit in a junkyard rusting away. It's temporary. The money is temporary. It's not going with you to the grave. And the job or the career that you're selling your soul to and sacrificing your family for isn't going to be there forever. You're going to change jobs. You're going to retire. You're going to get laid off. You're going to get fired. You're going to die. Wasn't all this good news? All that information, wasn't that worth it? It's all true, though, right? And the thing that this world has to offer, the best things that this world has to offer are temporary. All the possessions of this world are temporary. They all fade away, rust away, corrode, deteriorate, expire. They're all temporary. And just know that if you've set your heart on those objects, that you've set your heart on what is temporary. The fulfillment, the pleasure, the delight, the amusement, the meaning, the satisfaction of all these things all temporary. And the absolute best that this world has to offer has this big temporary sign on it. And even though most of the things in this world are temporary, there is something that isn't temporary and it's in this room. And rather than having a big temporary tag on it, it has a tag that reads eternal. And the thing that is eternal is you and the person sitting next to you. People are eternal. Not your physical bodies, but your souls. And some of us are thinking, thank God my body is not eternal. I am looking forward to being able to like have an ankle that's healed. That's been like, I don't know what's wrong with it for like over a year. And so now is the time for you to ask yourself some questions. And some of them may be tough. Ask yourself what the vision of your life is. What is your life about and what is the purpose of your life? You know, heaven and hell, those are real places that, that Jesus taught about and the, and the Bible has, has, uh, you know, is in agreement with that. And every human will be faced with an eternal destiny with God or without God. And people are all around us. So the question is, where's your heart for them? Where's your heart 
for evangelism. And what does evangelism mean for our church? And when it comes to reaching people and helping them encounter God, where is our heart in that? And how can we live life together if we, we don't have a heart for those who need God? And do you have a heart for people who know Christ, um, and, but they, they just can't go any deeper with him? And is, is your heart there for, for discipleship? And do you have a heart for people who are lost to meet Jesus? And that's evangelism, and we need both. How is your prayer life regarding people? You know, do you, do you have people you are praying for, specific people? Not just like, oh, God, I pray for everyone that doesn't know you, but specific people like names, people that you are you're, you're fighting for in the spiritual realm. Do you have their names written down and that you're praying for them? Faces you can identify and are you're thinking about and how 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 God's going to use you for those next spiritual steps in their life. And how you can engage them in, in a relationship. And is there something you can do to reach out to them? And Jesus says to Simon, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. If you want to know where your heart is at, you know, don't don't fall into what Simon did, because that's just tragic. Simon never offered a kiss. He never shed a tear. He never poured out a gift. And instead, he was rude. He was self-righteous. He couldn't see. And Jesus, in verse 48, says to the woman, your sins are forgiven. Now, what beautiful words to a woman who needed to hear that. And Jesus is in the business of saving lives. Do we have that in us? Do we, do we care about that? To think that we're in the life-saving business. And we're, we're not in the going-to-church business. And we, we're in the life-saving business. And sometimes, you know, I... I don't hear about people like getting saved until after the fact. And it's been a really encouraging year. There's been several people. And one of them was just in my office like last week. Um, I had no idea. I thought he I thought he was. But he, he just showed up and and he started telling me his story. And um, and then through the Taekwondo ministry, there was an entire family that, that came to know Jesus through that ministry. Um, and there's other stories out there of people that. You know, they just walk in from the community or so and so referred them to the church and now they're here and they wanted to find out more about Jesus. And, and it, it happens all the time. And it's awesome. And then to walk them through the process of getting to know God deeper and, and trying to plug them in to different people. This is what we are a part of. And if you want to successfully live life together, encourage one another that you're in the life saving business. It has to be something bigger, not just about like coming to church or growing a church or just about, oh, come to this thing and, and we're going to fight for this cause or whatever. It has to be bigger than that. It has to be a really huge thing. We're saving lives. And you have the opportunity to save someone's life, to give life, to give hope, to bless people. And we can take up time thinking about how we're going to get a more valuable house or, or a better car or more money or a higher position in our career. You know, and we're all entitled to do that. And you have the freedom to do that, but you just have to know that those are all temporary. But people, every single person you encounter and that you see, they have an eternity tag on them. I don't mean Calvin Klein. 
they have an eternity tag on them. Right? And everyone has an eternal destiny to be with God or to be without God. Those are the only two choices, with or without. And that's why we're here. It's part of our purpose. It's part of our mission. When we think about life together as a community, we we can't forget that there is something for us to do that is more than just ourselves, that is more than us just being insulated and just caring for about what we're about inside. But we have to go out. There's there's more people to include in this. Let's pray. God, we do thank you for our church and we do thank you for bringing us together. Thank you for the love that you've extended to each one of us. Thank you for publicly standing, defending us in in our shame and in our embarrassment. And each one of us that has uh, accepted you as our Savior and as our Lord um, at one time or another had to do that courageous act of coming before your feet and kneeling there and um, having our hearts broken. Lord, I pray for those that are struggling, that they do know you, but that they're, they're struggling. And I ask God that they can grasp onto those glimmers of hope, uh, glimmers of hope in their past, that they were once close to you and that that can happen again. And I ask God that you would minister to them in Jesus name. Amen.